Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Affected by Altitude, a Purple Row podcast for and by Rockies fans. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things baseball and Colorado Rockies. Hello and welcome to Affected by Altitude, the Purple Row podcast affiliate of SB Nation. I am your host, Skylar Timmons, and I am joined once again with my partners in crime, Mac Wilcox. Hey, yo! What's up, man? And Evan Lang. (laughs) Good afternoon, everybody. How you guys doing? Excellent. We talked before the podcast recently that Book of Boba Fett ended, and it was a blast. And then what's been a pretty boring last couple months for baseball, that was my highlight so far. <laughs> yeah, so it, and MLB The Show on the Switch is pretty terrible. Yeah. I was going to say, it, it's it, probably it, not great, huh? It's passable, but that tech test, it, it is choppy. It is a choppy boy. It ain't great. I tried playing online <laughs> this morning, and the lag, despite the fact that I have reasonably good internet, combined with the frame dropping and choppiness that happens just during regular gameplay, makes it borderline impossible sometimes between this and kingdom hearts it's been a real rough month for switch ports yeah it turns out unless nintendo is making the game itself a game won't run very well on the switch (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah which is why we need a new mario baseball anywho facts we got a great show for you today lots to talk about not much rockies news but still a lot with the cba labor negotiations ongoing so we're going to cover pretty much anything and whatever, have some catch-up with the Hall of Fame and everything. So should be a good episode. hope you enjoy it. But first, as always, we've got our icebreaker. And with this episode coming out on President's Day, I want to ask this question out to you guys. If you could choose one Rocky, past or present, to become president of baseball. So they're not president of the U.S., but they're more or less kind of like commissioner or just in charge of <laughs> baseball in general. Who would it be? Who would you pick? We'll start with Mac. I am going to go with Carlos Gonzalez. 
I think that he is somebody that really bridged uh, the generational gap. He was on the Rockies for a long time and obviously well-loved by fans, well-loved by teammates, seeming well-loved by ownership and managers uh, across the league. He did land a few other gigs with a couple different teams for fairly short stints, but obviously there was a lot of interest in his play. So I think Carlos Gonzalez just having the great reputation he has on basically all sides of the ball I would love to see uh, a guy like him really take on a leadership role and hopefully, you know, get some traction in these negotiations, you know, and and hopefully, even better, avoid any in the future. Coming from somebody that's played the game for so long and is so, you know, deeply uh, relationship-oriented as him, I think he'd be the perfect guy to step in to that president of baseball role and really, you know, like I said, bridge the gap between the, the league itself and the players and have a happy relationship for all the uh, people involved going forward in my dream <laughs> so world. Cargo 2024. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, there's me bumper stickers here coming out in just a minute. Yeah, How about you, Evan? Who, who's your president yeah. of baseball? Uh, so my president of baseball is actually going to be our Spilligus, Ryan Spilborgs. Spilligus. <laughs> um, Spilly, I think, has a really good understanding of the game especially with how he um, sort of tends to go about looking at what needs to be changed and what needs to stay the same. He's got a good balance between like baseball traditionalism, but also recognizing that some parts of the game are not perfect and do need to be changed. And also because he um, he's one of those guys who you know extensively played in the minors, played overseas, um, didn't necessarily have a super long, superstar major league baseball career not not to say that i don't love him or incredibly admire his contributions to the rockies when he was with the big league club but he's got i think a better understanding of like minor league conditions and things like that for um for the kind of disputes that we're having because minor leaguers are still you know, not having a great time out there, mm-hmm. and they sort of get thrown to the wolves a lot during these sort of negotiations, and we've seen that already. I'm sure we'll talk about it in a little bit. But also the fact that, you know, Spilly, from all of my interactions with him, from everything I've seen of him, is just like a generally pretty good, pretty fun-loving dude, and I think he'd be a good choice. That's a real good pick. What's your Skylar? So mine's not as thought out as your guys. <laughs> but I... Just something about the name President Blackman just sounds so good to me. Yeah, it does. <laughs> partly, roll off the tongue. he's that wild card, and partly, I think, you know, he'll bring back the presidential beard that we haven't had for <sighs> generations, whether U.S. True. presidential or anything. I want a president with a beard again. And then, along those same lines, you look at Charlie Blackman, a very personable guy, and you no, know, he's really quiet, but he carries a big stick, so he could be our Teddy Roosevelt, more or less. You know, he's always out hunting and fishing, but then he'll get stuff done. And you know, I, I think Blackman, Charlie Blackman especially, has kind of a good you know, perspective on baseball in general. You know, he's We don't hear his opinions much on a lot of things, but he just seems like that guy that's very methodical, very thoughtful you know, about all of those things, kind of like the same things Evan talked about and that Ma- you've talked about, Mac. Uh, so I think you know, let's just put all three of them in office. They can all be three co-presidents. That's a that's a great cabinet right there, isn't it? <laughs> I'm about it. It works. It does work. But yeah, we'll, we'll we'll definitely share this kind of question on on Twitter and everything, and get your thoughts, uh, you the the listeners, because 
it, it, that's an important thing because it's important to find the, out those who you know, think along the same lines that we do when it comes to baseball. And you know, it, it, we all know that baseball's in trouble right now, which we'll definitely get into a little mm-hmm. bit later. But let's start off with one of the top Rockies news headlines that we saw uh, recently was manager Bud Black has been extended through the 2023 season. Uh, he signed back in prior to the 2017 season, uh, so he had recently signed an extension that would run through the 2022 season. They've tacked on an extra year, uh, which was it was kind of in question whether he was going to come back or not uh, with the whole re- regime change with general manager Bill Schmidt, but it looked like he's sticking around. Uh, and it, it seems overall that this this is, seems like a good move, good news. Uh, what's your take on this, Mac? Uh, I love it. I think it's great. I mean, we've said it before in a few different podcasts uh, recently that like there's a lot that the Rockies need to do to retool and reshape what their identity is going to be. But if there's one thing that's been consistently positive, I think in the last few seasons, it's been the leadership of Black. He's taken a lot of these young arms and really turned them into top flight starters and bullpen arms. We've seen the progression of a lot of these young uh, infielders, uh, especially that have really started turning the corner to become these, uh, you know, upper echelon major league players. And I think it's it's not squarely on Bud Black's shoulders. A lot of people involved in all that process, but Bud Black is at the helm. He's the guy that makes all this possible. Uh, he is the winningest manager in their history by winning percentage. You know, he's uh, just 10 games under 500 for his career with the Rockies, which is pretty cool. He's been there longer than almost every other manager they've had other than obviously Clint Hurdle and uh, Don Baylor. But I really just think that Bud Black is somebody that has been so integral to the, you know, admittedly sort of up and down success of the Rockies lately. But I don't think the Rockies have those two playoff runs that they had recently last couple of seasons without Bud Black. I don't think uh, the Rockies are going to find someone right now that is going to be as bought in and as understanding as of where they are as an organization from an on-field perspective than Buddy. He has been great. I could sing his praises all day long. He's not perfect. No, no major league manager is perfect. There's still some head scratchers every so often, but just what he's been able to do, especially like we've said so many times, as the Rockies really continue to develop and change their their whole mindset from you know bludgeoning you to death on Blake Street now it's more you know pitching a defense oriented. He's the guy that's exemplified that so well over the last few seasons with Herman Marquez and Antonio Sensatella and Kyle Freeland and John Gray. Which you know whatever that is what it is. But like he's been that guy to make a lot of that happen. I think it's one of the best moves they can make right now. I'm all about it. It's only a year. I get it. But the longer we can keep Bud Black around, I'm happy with it. Yeah, Evan. Why is it so important? Why, why, in your opinion, why is it so important to keep Bud Black around? So, especially with the the team being a little bit in flux over the last couple of years, I think keeping the continuity of Bud Black is really important. Totally. Especially when a lot of the younger guys on this team, I think he is an ideal manager for for younger players, and we've seen that earlier. And I think sort of during the the Rockies playoff runs, I I did have um, an argument where at that time, Buddy was not maybe necessarily the perfect manager for the club just because of his very sort of even-keeled demeanor. But it is that even-keeled demeanor 
that is so important for developing young players in terms of their attitudes about the game. And I think especially having a, a pitcher as your manager, you don't see that as often. A lot of the managers in the in the bigs are sort of like um, former hitters and stuff like that. But with Buddy Black, we've seen how important that is, especially in terms of developing the rotation. But then the younger players can, you know, get a feel for for being more comfortable around the manager and feel like, especially, so Bud Black is a very forgiving manager. Um, and we've seen that that sometimes can, can bite him and bite the team when he'll leave a guy out there too long after it's clear that things have sort of um, started to spiral or give a guy a really quick second chance. But I think that's really important in terms of developing a young roster, a young rotation, a young bullpen, is that one poor performance isn't going to be the end of the world Mm -hmm. and that your manager especially has got your back. Because we see too often in Major League Baseball that your manager can sometimes be pretty quick to throw your player under the bus yeah. or, or even in other sports where some managers, some coaches will just, you know, huck them straight underneath the bus and leave them to fend for themselves. And that's never, ever been buddy. And I think for this team, especially that's really important. He's even keeled. He's patient. He knows the game very, very well, especially from the pitching side of things and where the Rockies have been developing, especially on the pitching side of things makes that so important. And we've seen it pay dividends. We look at our rotation, it's the best it's ever been. The bullpen's been shaky, but we've gotten some really incredible performances, especially last year out of guys like Lucas Gilbreth and Jordan Sheffield, that you never really know if maybe that's going to have worked out with a different manager. And, and Mac, like you said, no manager is perfect. Mm-hmm. But I really do think that Bud Black is one of the most successful and perhaps most important managers in the history of this team. I think um, sitting up there with Clint Hurdle and and Big Don Baylor, because Big Don was so essential to the Rockies forming their, you know, original identity back in the early nineties when they came into being. Then Clint Hurdle was crucial to forming the Rocktober identity and bringing the Rockies to their first successful playoff stretch. And now we've got Bud Black, who is going to be crucial in forming the identity of this team as it is right now. I like the idea that like we've had these different managers and the different identities that have come with that. I think that's a really cool idea. Like how you mentioned, like Baylor was the kind of the guy that originally, you know, was around when the team first started. And like you said, like the Rocktober crew of Hurdle and now this new change in the concept of what the Rockies are with Bud Black. I think that's a really cool concept as we talk about this. Yeah, and I like that because you think of these different eras, no, but specifically now we talked about the Rockies' persona now. It isn't so much we're going to outslug the other team anymore. We're going to try and outpitch the other team. Totally. And you know what better way to herald that is to have a bit former big league pitcher, former pitching coach, heading up your team, making those decisions. You know, and and unfortunately the offense has kind of taken a weird hit the last couple of years during his tenure uh they've had some up seasons some down seasons but it, it, i think bud black in the span of things and evan putting it perfectly we have those three eras of managers with the, a lot of those other guys uh, sprinkled in like mm-hmm. old jim leland 
<laughs> but it's important that you, know, you can have those three defining managers in team history. You know, and so I think when all said and done, Bud Black, you know, he's always going to go down in history as one of the best managers in Rockies history. And I think one a favorable one. I think you guys nailed on that well. He is a team manager. He is a player manager. Yep. You know, a very likable guy. He's the grandpa in the dugout. You know, everybody loves Bud Black. And so it's it's important to have him around to help calm the, the ship, especially after the terrible stuff the Rockies have gone through the past couple of years and the you know, eroded relationships with star players, the fan base, mm-hmm. confusion with the front office and everything. It's good to have just this one constant that you know, old reliable Bud Black. So, uh, it, and, and I do think you're right there of how important that is. The players really do love him. I was him. about to say the same you thing. Can, yep. You can tell that in you know post game interviews and even during the game where it's like, you know, he's got his boys back and his players like playing for him as well. Well, and another thing Skyler mentioned too was like the last few seasons organizationally have been pretty rough, right? Departure of key players. And like, like Skyler said, man, like the, the um, loss of a lot of top guys for various reasons we don't have to rehash again. But just like Evan said, man, like despite all that, the players that are here are still bought in, or at least appears to be bought in to what Buddy Black is selling them. So despite all of this, you know, uh, extra stuff going on, despite all the, the changes with the trades and the free agencies and all that, you've still got guys that show up every day and they say, okay, yeah, I want to bring my all to make this team successful, partly because I buy into what my manager. So yeah, I think that's a really, really important point talking about even despite all the off-field chicanery as it might be, Buddy Black still has the, you know, the hearts of his guys come into play for him. I think that's a really cool uh, thing to point out. And he's and he's a successful manager too. Like his his managing is not the reason why the Rockies have struggled over the last few seasons. And you look at his managerial record, and he's got the chance to hit a thousand career managerial wins this season. Within the next two seasons, he's got a chance to be just the second Rockies manager to ever have 500 wins with the Rockies. The only one right now is Clint Hurdle with 534. Mm-hmm. And like, there are a lot of problems with the Colorado Rockies, and I will be the first to admit that. But Buddy Black is not one of them. Yeah, and I think the the great thing that kind of sums it all up that I think to, to me is when you hear interviews from the players and and such, they talk about how much they love Bud Black and how much confidence he has in them as players. And I think that goes a long way for them and helps them. Sometimes those results don't pan out of them having faith in them and giving them those chances, but still that having that faith in them in general – Know, and believing in them as big leaguers, I think goes a long way for the morale of the team. And I, you're hard-pressed to find many people in Colorado that don't like Bud Black as manager. So Absolutely. It, it, it's great to have him for at least one more year uh, while the team kind of transitions into this new era in the Bill Schmidt era. And so keep him around for one more year as the transition happens. And then we go from 2023, see what happens, who the next manager for the Rockies would be, uh, Vinny Castilla. <laughs> but 
I legitimately do think Vinny would make an excellent main. Oh, absolutely. I'm down. All right. So we transition now from Bud Black to a guy that he didn't have the opportunity to manage, uh, but played against him as a manager in Todd Helton. We got the Hall of Fame results for about a month later. Uh, We're very topical here. (laughs) But with the Hall of Fame announcement, uh, we got the update on Todd Helton. uh, Comes in at 52% on the year. Uh, I believe this is fourth year on the ballot. Fourth or fifth year. But I wanted to ask, uh, what are your thoughts on the progression that Todd Helton has made uh, on the Hall of Fame? We'll start with Evan. Uh, His progression has been really encouraging. Um, especially, so last year he was in the, the 40s, and now he's bumped up to 52. He's really sort of chugging along in terms of getting his votes up there. And honestly, I think Larry Walker's election to the Hall of Fame helped sort of erase some of the stigma of voting for a guy who played at Coors Field because he gained a pretty solid amount of votes this year. Absolutely. Where he had, uh, he had 205 total votes, 52% of the ballot. And what's really encouraging, and regardless of your feelings on who got in and who didn't, is that a lot of really big names are dropping off the ballot. And we saw some other interesting um, voting things during this where uh, several voters would sort of choose uh, someone else. We had a couple ballots where Todd Helton was removed from their ballot so they could vote for one of the newer guys in order to keep them from dropping off the ballot. Uh, I forget which specifically writer it was, but we had a guy who uh, removed Todd from their ballot um, to keep Mark Bruley from falling off the ballot and then specifically said, yeah, I'm going to add Todd back next year. I just really wanted to keep, you know, Mark Bruley from falling off the ballot. And that's, you know, although frustrating, totally, totally valid, especially when Todd has, you know, a decent chunk of years left on the ballot. And now you've got... um, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, uh, Sammy Sosa, they are all dropping Mm -hmm. off next year's ballot. And I think that really gives him a strong opportunity to get more votes. Especially when you get into, like, not to just jump on you, Skylar, but, like, especially when you think about, like, when you look at next year's potential ballot, I would say, no offense to anybody, right? Peace, you know, peace and love and everything. But, like, it's probably not as strong as some of the names we saw this year, right? Like, I don't think that that's, like, too, like, crazy and out there an opinion to say that, like, some of the names that are hopping onto the 2023 Hall of Fame ballot um, are not going to be as maybe enticing as some of the names that are on right now. So I am totally with Evan, and I think Skyler, um, just like Evan said, like, the idea that, that Larry Walker was able to get in uh, with the course field bias being what it is, I think that really does go in Helton's favor. And I really think it's something that I'm confident he gets in next year. Maybe that's a hot take to go from 52% up to 75, you know, that, that threshold. But I think just like Evan mentioned, like there were some voters who were very open and honest about the fact that they left him off their ballot, not because they didn't think it was deserving, but because of some of the more logistical reasons. Um, and I think that, he has a very real chance to get in next year with everything being what it is. And with the ballot looking the way it's going to look, I think that Todd Helton actually will get in uh, this following season and it will be deserved, obviously. Um, And I I think this is the first year I can really confidently say that. 
you know, not just from my bias, like, oh, he'll definitely get in for his year. Like, just from a realistic standpoint, I think this might be his year following the balance of volume results we've seen. That is it. And if not next year, I think Todd definitely is not going to have to wait until his final year on the ballot mm-hmm. like Larry Walker did. Mm-hmm. I think we've seen that stigma drop for for Rockies players at least a little bit and a lot of recognition from public voters at least that you know Todd Helton was an astounding and Hall of Fame worthy player. I I still say that he's one of if not the best first baseman of his generation. Totally. In terms of overall, you know, playing ability and talent. And I am really looking forward to the day where we can all, you know, get to get together and celebrate Todd Helton being the Rockies second ever Hall of Famer. Yeah, and I agree. You no, know, it's hard we're that group that you know we have a little bit of that inherent bias because we are Rockies fans. We watch Todd Helton a lot. And the frustrating part with all the voting is you'll see those writers that didn't have that exposure, that you know, concept of Todd Helton and why playing in Coors Field and everything. You no, know, they see Todd Helton, Colorado Rockies, and they just write him off because of that fact that he played at Coors Field, the Coors Field bias. You know, and that that's kind of the, been the frustrating part to see if those writers that refuse to acknowledge anything he's done because he played at Coors Field uh, in the early 2000s for his whole career. And so that, that's the frustrating part is we you can look at his numbers and see how good he was for over the course of his career, and they'll always point to two things of, oh, his peak wasn't long enough, it dropped off after such and such date because we know he had a bunch of injuries and back problems and all that stuff. And then, two that he played at Coors Field for half the games of his career. Yes. And so that's the the frustrating part is then you'll see voters that won't vote for him strictly because of those two things and won't really do the research and look more into his numbers, uh, kind of like a lot of people did with Larry Walker. Yeah, that's a really, really great point. Because I remember back when we were discussing you know, Larry Walker finally having his induction is that Derek Jeter statistically was not necessarily a better player than Larry Walker, but he had that national exposure during the playoffs and playing on the Yankees and all of his playoff success that Larry Walker just didn't have in addition to the stigma of playing at Coors Field. So Larry Walker, despite being a Hall of of Fame-worthy player, took until his final year of the ballot to get in, and Jeter was near unanimous first ballot. I don't want to, like, go too far down this road just because I have very strong feelings about it, too. But I, I'm just going to throw this out there. Like, if the Hall of Fame voting process was a bit more, let's say, refined, we would already see people like Helton and Larry Walker get in far before their first year. And I'm not, oh, definitely. you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to, like, bury those guys. But, like, it's just the way they do Hall of Fame voting is, like, really... Um, PG podcast strange and so uh, <laughs> I think that that's why we run into those situations so often like you use the example like well I took you know Helton off my ballot to get Mark Burley on but don't worry he'll be on next year like why you know what I mean yeah and there's definitely things that need to change about the Hall of Fame voting <laughs> process especially with you see some of these writers who submit blank ballots oh, or, it's, <laughs> or it's very clear that they are not 
you know, really watching the current game of baseball. Mm -hmm. We had uh, a voter who submitted a blank ballot and he's like, I'm waiting for waiting for Jeter, despite the fact that Jeter's already in. Mm -hmm. So it's like you have these guys who are sort of out of touch with the modern game of baseball or I, I, I personally think and, you know, you can feel free to tell me I'm wrong or anything like that. But if you submit a blank ballot more than one time, you get your voting privileges revoked. Yeah, I think to... if, if you want to do it one time, fine. But then if you do it again after that, then you are no longer eligible to vote for the Hall of Fame. And I also think that there should be a, a Players Association vote of like current and former players and current mm. Hall of Famers who are like, yeah, this guy should join our ranks. This guy shouldn't join our ranks. That mm-hmm. kind of thing. Sort of spread it out more among um, among everybody versus it just being the Baseball Writers Association. Yeah, I, I mean, Skyler shares some pretty hysterical memes during the Hall of Fame voting season this year. Skyler's Twitter game is much stronger than mine. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think we all pretty much feel the same about blank ballots specifically. <laughs> Uh, and I think the the hard part is is that they'll submit it with just the you know, explanation of I don't think any of you guys on here are worthy of the Hall of Fame. Well, then what is worthy of the Hall of Fame? Thank you. Because we see a lot of the guys. The game of baseball has changed. You know, the time of David Ortiz, who was inducted, his era of playing baseball is much different than it was back in the seventies, the fifties, the forties. Instead, but we still find these writers comparing the guys of today that are on the list to the guys of yesteryear. And, you know, that's not fair to the players now because the games of baseball has changed so much. And so that's that's what always gets me is, you know, why are we comparing Todd Helton to such and such player that had all these World Series titles, these MVPs and such, but Todd Helton beats him in all these other statistical categories mm-hmm. in today's game. Oh. So it, there's this disconnect there. And I agree with Evan. There's a ton that needs to change with the Hall of Fame voting. You know, that the 10-player limit, sometimes that need, that needs to go away. You know, because then you get into those situations where you're dropping a guy off who's deserving just so you can try and save another guy. Yes. So it's either don't let guys drop off or – know expand how many you can vote for there's a ton of stuff that needs to (laughs) get fixed with the the hall of fame or even make it so that like you you get to vote for a maximum of 10 but so many people don't submit ballots that have um that have the full amount of allotted voting spaces Mm -hmm. and you'll see guys like a one player or two player ballot and just go well i don't think they deserve to be in the hall of fame or i'm a proponent of the small hall and uh you know this player was really good but i don't think they should be in and if you're going to have as big of voting classes as you do from year to year i think maybe you need to either expand the amount of slots you can vote for or make it so that you do need to use at least a certain amount of your votes annually mm-hmm. what if like I was just thinking of this. This is probably a convoluted way to do it. But you, where you can vote for guys like, yeah, they should be in, I think they should be in the Hall of Fame like right now on this ballot. And then you, there's maybe some votes you can use and then like another section of votes. Like, yeah, this guy should stay on the ballot. I want him to stay on the ballot, but it doesn't count mm-hmm. towards my 10 votes 
into the Hall of Fame. If that kind of makes sense. Hmm. So like I can you can get behind that. You can vote for guys like, yeah, I don't see him going in the Hall of Fame this year, but I want him to stick around for another cycle so I can kind of, I don't know, something like that. No, yeah, yeah, I can get behind that. It's interesting stuff, the Hall of Fame. But just to wrap up here, before we take a quick break, uh, David Ortiz does get in. He's the only one that gets in this year uh, from the writer's ballot. Uh, there's all the guys from the Veterans Committee and stuff uh, as well. But last time we see Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Kurt Schilling, and Sammy Sosa on the Hall of Fame ballot. All of them fall off. Uh, just real quick here, guys, thoughts, takeaways from kind of these controversial guys falling off of the Hall of Fame ballot. This is loaded, right? Like, this is a bit of a loaded topic. But I will say... um I, uh, I'll take from like someone that's like a baseball writer. I think that there's a bit too much stock put into potential steroid stuff. Um, I'm not going to expand on that too much just because of, you know, we're limited time and I know we didn't take a break because it's a, it's a very, very deep topic. But like, I don't know. I, I get it. Like, I do get it. I get when we get into the idea of like cheating and, and things like that. But I just, I think, you know like would i guess the biggest thing for me is like would these guys still be above average potential hall of fame caliber players without those potential allegations i think a few of them were um yeah i'm not gonna lose any sleep over it but that's just my little takeaway from it i don't know what you have what you got i think it's very complicated isn't it it's super complicated the the steroid use at the time was definitely the way that Major League Baseball was pushing the game during the Bud Selig era. And you have the the issue of that at the end of Bud Selig's era is when, when things started coming to light, is when all mm-hmm. of a sudden everyone hated steroids, which weren't necessarily even against the rules at the time. And, you know, I'll put it out there, I don't like steroid use. I think it is, you know, a, a corruption of the game of baseball of to be taking anything that is going to enhance yourself like that. But at the same time, you have guys like Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens who were already Hall of Famers before their documented steroid use, where this was a way for, originally maybe started as a way to prolong their career or push for something else. Barry Bonds was already a Hall of Famer before his steroid era. His general career before using steroids is already incredible and i think you have the unfortunate thing of that that one bit of steroid use just sort of ruins that for everybody it's the same with the with mark mcguire and sammy sosa where sammy sosa is dropping off the ballot this year and uh, as well is that their home run race fueled by steroids it may be which were not as big a deal at the time as they are now is sort of considered as having saved baseball in the years coming after the, you know, 94 strike and stuff like that, where it got people watching and it was exciting and to completely remove that from the hall of fame and their accolades, I think is honestly kind of a shame. And you have other stuff like that. Like me personally, I have, what you would call a morals clause where if this person did something gross or is just like overall seems to be a pretty 
unpleasant human being, they're less likely to get my vote. But no matter how you feel on his performance, is that, or his personality, is that Kurt Schilling was an incredible pitcher mm-hmm. and definitely Hall of Fame worthy. And personally, I think what led him to drop off the ballot this year is that he did go out and say, you know, specifically to the voters, don't vote for me, um, which I think actually kept him from getting in this year because last year and the the year before, he had generally been gaining enough traction where he probably could have made it in this year. Mm-hmm. But then he threw a tantrum and that, you know, hurt his chances. But then you have, you know, other guys like, um, I, I really don't want to get into it that much, but Omar Vizquel who saw his uh, votes absolutely plummet this year after um, what came out that he had had done. And, you know, it's, it's really tricky because all, all the baseball writers, all the voters, all the players are human. And there's plenty of people who think, you know, it's, it's the Hall of Fame. It's not the Hall of hall of personality or anything like that or hall of good people it's about their baseball accolades but at the end of the day i think it's it's really tricky to just discount all of these guys who are just dropping off the ballot uh, ballot is not being hall of fame worthy because so many of them are and regardless of how they get voted for or anything like that that their you know, accolades of of being truly incredible ball players are things that would normally put them in the Hall of Fame. Only yeah. thing I'm going to say, and I promise I'm done. I promise. Last thing, <laughs> it'll never be the true Hall of Fame. It'll never be fully done until until she was chosen. That's all. I promise I'm done. <laughs> I this is my thing. Especially with how much they are pushing gambling and sports betting right now across all sports, mm-hmm. but. <laughs> It's been, it's been truly a lot unpleasant. It's, been a lot. it's a whole other can of worms yeah, <laughs> for another time. Yeah, we could go on this for yeah. hours. But we're gonna keep that can closed. Yeah. <laughs> the one last thing that I always took away from it is, I would have been fine if they got in on the tenth year. No, they served that time, and but ultimately, what makes a Hall of Famer? Is it seventy-five percent of baseball writers saying yes, you're a Hall of Famer? Or is it the court of public opinion that mm. makes you a real Hall of Famer? You know, is having your face on a piece of bronze in the Hall of Fame, does that make you a Hall of Famer? Technically, yes. Mm. No, it, but it's a whole big discussion that you know, a lot more wiser people have had than yeah. me. But it, it's <laughs> just interesting. Hall of Fame, it's messy. It's not perfect. But, hey, at least we've got a guy in there. at least our guys in there that is exactly it so all right well we're gonna go ahead and take a quick break here don't go anywhere we still got a lot to talk about with the cba negotiations labor lockout everything in between so we'll be right back hello and welcome back to the affected by altitude podcast hope you enjoyed our ad breaks now We've got a lot to unpack here, so let's try and do our best here, boys. We've got, currently, we're still in the MLB lockout. Uh, I forgot what day it's, how many days it's been, uh, but we're still in a lockout. Spring training was supposed to have started already (laughs) this past week, 
but because of the lockout, pitchers and catchers have not reported uh, because there's still no collective bargaining agreement yet. So I'm going to give a quick lowdown here of kind of everything that we've heard and that we know of, and then we're just going to run through uh, whatever you guys are feeling you want to talk about. So currently, still no agreement. Uh, MLB has announced they are looking at a February 28th deadline. That's kind of what they've told the players. If we want to keep opening day on track, on time, February 28th, a deal has to be made. Now, as of today on the recording, MLB's officially delayed spring training games until March 5th at the latest, uh, but no earlier than that. We've had a Rob Manfred press conference. A lot to talk about there. Uh, Mm -hmm. But ultimately, the collective bargaining agreement, a lot of it seems to be coming down to money, and those are kind of the hang-ups. So there hasn't really been much of any negotiations and progress on either end uh, coming towards a deal. Um, So I guess where do you guys want to start? What do we want to talk about first? What's kind of sticking out to you the most with this whole lockout situation? You are certainly right that there's a lot. Bevan, please get us started somewhere because I don't even know where to begin with all of this. The first thing that I like to remind everybody of is that this is not a player's strike. This is a lockout. This is was unanimously voted on by all of the owners and the league, not the players, to lock out the players. That they agreed on basically the moment the old CBA expired. And that is important to know because under, uh, I believe under federal labor regulation laws, if they had not done a lockout, you could have gone ahead and continued into the new year on the old CBA until the new CBA was negotiated upon. And so, you know, that of course doesn't preclude the players from striking. That's absolutely within their ability to do. But this was, as soon as the old CBA ended, the owners locked out the players, which means they cannot access league facilities or team facilities. They cannot talk to league or team employees. They're basically on their own until a new CBA is negotiated. And the league has made it pretty clear that they're not going to lift the lockout until the new CBA is negotiated. Now, if they did lift the lockout today, you could just start spring training immediately. Because the... um, the old CBA would be de facto continued until the new CBA was agreed upon. So you could have just had the two sides get together at the end of the old CBA and say, look, these negotiations are going to take some time, so we'll go ahead and you know keep going on the original CBA that we're working off of until it is time to put a new one into effect and we can have the goal of, like, let's try and get a new CBA you know, into effect by the all-star break or something like that. But now there is so much acrimony on, it is on both, it is on both sides, but a lot of it has to do with um, the quote unquote negotiating tactics of the league, where after the lockout, they waited 43 days to submit any sort of offer or proposal. And then they wait a very long time to submit counter proposals when the players union um, submits something. And that's been a huge issue that's really, really slowed things down where, Skylar, you say it's, you forget how many days it's been. It's been over, I like to break it down instead of the day total, as it's been over one-fifth of an entire calendar year. 
to really to really show more perspective of just how long it's been and just how slow the negotiations have been going where the league has submitted like two total offers within <laughs> one fifth of a calendar year. So uh, it ain't great. Uh, as Evan uh, is more eloquently putting it. Um, yeah. So a couple positives. Um, I like that the universal DH is being added and I know that might be weird because I know I, I write for a national league team, but I've come to terms with the universal DH. I'll be honest. I've done a total 180 on it over the last few years. So I'm cool with it. And that's where the positives end. Uh, I have nothing else. Um, this is, this is not good, right? Uh, it's definitely, um, at a point where there's a lot of anger, I think on both sides. And obviously we get a lot more insight into what the players are thinking than we do the owners because obviously players are much more active one thing to consider too is this is the first lockout that mlb's had with social media and how interesting is that right getting to kind of be a lot more i guess there's a lot more accessibility to what is happening with the players and with the owners because gone are the days we'd have to hear about it from the radio or you know from the newspaper the tv like now we can actually get it back from the players themselves tweeting about it you know, talking a bit more openly about what they're feeling and where they're at. And I think that's really interesting. Check out Evan, especially on Twitter, has been all over, really um, showing some interesting perspectives from minor leaguers recently, uh, some sort of fringe major league talent that's had a lot of really interesting say, things to say about their experience working with the owners and with the sort of governing bodies of MLB for years. But, but yeah, um, I am confident at this point that we're going to lose games in the regular season. There's has not been a lot of traction. Like somebody mentioned that there's been, you know, two proposals submitted so far. The most recent meeting took place just the other day was 15 minutes, right? We're officially losing uh, spring training games. And the most recent meeting between the two parties was 15 minutes long. That does not inspire confidence in me that we are anywhere near any sort of reconciliation between these two groups. Um, obviously the collecting bargaining agreement and the, um, arbitration stuff are really, really big hangups. And I know Skyline, every guys are much more knowledgeable about that stuff. So I'd love for y'all to kind of break down what that means for the, uh, uneducated like myself, but yeah, man, like the whole thing has just been very, very, uh, sharp, right. A very harsh reality of what it means to, to come to these sort of huge multi-level agreements and there does not seem to be any sort of notion that we're close to any agreement. So I've, I've pretty much steeled myself for the very real possibility that we're going to lose regular season games at this point. With the federal mediation definitely not happening now, I don't see how it gets any sort of compromise in the next month and a half at least. For what it's worth, the federal mediation was never really, in my opinion, actually going to be much of a thing because the federal the call from the MLB, the owners in the league, to go to a federal mediator came after they had submitted just one total proposal. And the, the use of a federal mediator in 1994-95 wasn't exactly successful. And my personal opinion is that the calling in of a federal mediator was made to make try and skew the 
court of public opinion to be labeling the players as the more obstructionist party because the league is going, oh, well, we're trying to bring in outside help and those players just, they don't want to hear any of it. But when you think about bringing in a federal mediator, having to get them caught up on everything and having them not necessarily be the most knowledgeable about the current CBA, the former CBA, um, baseball itself as a whole and both sides of things that I don't think it would have done a lot of good to begin with honestly so it's tricky on that and honestly you don't want to you don't really want to have to see um it become so severe that like the u.s government has to has to step in or anything like that but it really just has been that the negotiations themselves have not really been in I, I would say good faith, yeah. at least on, on the league and the owner's sure. side, because, and you were talking about the perception on social media that, uh, is, is totally different, but it can still be so frustrating because you keep seeing players going, Oh, well, it's just greedy billionaires against greedy millionaires and neither side is willing to budge. But we have seen across the multiple negotiating sessions that the, the union has backed off of, or moved or edited several of their real pushing points where like they originally wanted uh, age-based free agency versus the service time free agency and they definitely backed off of that they've backed off on trying to get arbit- arbitration started for all players earlier than three years and they've backed off of that and then they'll they'll submit like a solution of okay so instead of everyone being arbitration eligible after two years, what if we have a pre-arbitration bonus pool of this amount of money? And I think the original point was $110 million of total money for like the top 30 pre-arbitration players in baseball. Because the whole point of what a lot of the union has been negotiating for is for players to be able to sort of get what they are worth earlier especially for younger players because we do see like yeah a lot of there are plenty of superstars who make big fat contracts but the majority of players don't actually make those big superstar that's contracts. the important part right and, there yep and you are locked in where it's all about service time so you need three total years of major league service time to be arbitration eligible where then you get to argue about what you are potentially worth. And then it takes an additional three for six total years of MLB service time for you to hit free agency. And uh, Kyle Freeland was on uh, a podcast a couple days ago and was like, I said it very candidly, is you have guys busting their butts for years in the minors, and then by the time they're free agent eligible, they are you know, old to the point where they are not going to get blurred. You have guys where they're like 30 or older when they are finally able to hit the, the free agent market. You can look at Daniel Bard, the Colorado Rockies reliever. He's 36 years old and he's still in arbitration. Be part of that too. is just how old he was <laughs> and taking all sure. those years off. But True. It, that's the, that's the thing though. I think is there's been the perception for the players that they're trying to focus on the younger guys. You know, yes, there's going to be Juan Soto's that are, you know, primed to make $500 million on a contract. You know, but then there's, you know, a younger guy, you know, a Vlad Guerrero Jr. who 
you know, barely making probably a little over the league minimum, and he was an MVP runner-up in 2021. You know, and so it's getting these young superstars paid more or getting rewarded for their benefits, you know, and either push forcing a team to like, yeah, we got to dish out to keep this guy around, or let's send him off to another team that he can succeed, get paid somewhere else. I think a big part of it is just trying to get the owners to open up the book because that's kind of been the big thing and the big argument and you know, thing against the owners is that they're starting to come off as just crying poverty, coming off as like honestly just being cheap where they want to hold on as much money. And this is the one comment that was getting a lot of flack on you know, Twitter and everything was during the Rob Manfred presser press conference where he made the comment like we had a very you know, ex- experienced, very professional you know, accountant look over all the numbers and basically the stock market is a safer investment than a baseball team. You know, and, and people on Twitter just go right off about that. You know, and so that's kind of been the big battle here is that perception of, yes, these owners, they're rich, they're wealthy. They can own baseball teams. These are wealthy individuals. They're not hurting for cash. And then there's these players. Yes, there's the big number that are make. There's the number that are making tons of money. That's because they're the best of the best. But still, the majority of baseball are not making those multi-million dollar contracts. And so, trying to even that out, where these super wealthy are helping the labor force that are struggling uh, in the majors and aren't getting paid what they're worth. That's kind of the big tug and pull that we're seeing between these two sides. I was just going to say, man, like this, the whole thing about it that's so weird to me is like, you both kind of made mention of it, the idea that it's like the millionaires versus the billionaires. And it's like, what a, like, that's so reductive, isn't it? Like, just it, it's like, what a massive oversimplification, you know? And I get like, not everyone's going to take the time that we do, right? To look into every single one of these articles and these different contexts and break down all these quotes. Like, I get it that that's not people want to do with their time all the time but like you have to understand you both may mention of it that like that the millionaires versus billionaires thing is the case for what five percent of all the players in mlb organizations less you know what i mean like that is not the reality for the vast vast majority of these guys many of which are younger than us at this point you know what i mean like not that we're old men or anything but i'm just saying like these are these are anywhere between, you know, young adults to, like, barely out of high school that are just trying to make it to a point where they can live comfortably in their homes while playing the sport they're, contra- they're contracted to do. And that is part of it, too. You know, part of the the negotiations is that the owners at one point were saying that they did not want uh, invitees to spring training, minor leaguers, right? So minor leaguers with invites to spring training to be paid in the time that they're in spring training because the experience of being there with the coaching staff and the, you know, major league players, that is training and that is the payment enough, right? And let me tell you, as somebody who uh, has done a lot of work to make a career out of other artistic endeavors, um, that ain't a thing. Exposure bucks do not pay the rent. You know what I mean? And so, like... It's those guys that these negotiations are, are largely about. Those anywhere between 
you know, 19 year olds to 22 year olds that are, that are in these conversations that have just recently been signed and are getting opportunities in spring training. Those are the guys that many of these conversations are about. So the whole millionaires versus billionaires thing, it just falls on deaf ears for me. And that's to say nothing of how, you know, minor leaguers continually just keep getting thrown under the bus Correct. in general in terms of it came out that the league had proposed eliminating even more uh, minor league positions after they contracted the minor leagues uh, at the beginning of last season with the promise that conditions would get better. And then we saw just how much worse they were to the point where the league had to pledge that they would, you know, provide housing mm. for minor leaguers because you have these guys getting paid, you know, maybe 16 grand a year maximum living in an unfurnished apartment with like seven other guys just to make it through the year and then don't get paid at all during the off season. Don't get paid for spring training. It's like, and none, none of the players get paid for spring training, but that's something that needs to change as well. Like if the major, if the major leaguers start getting paid for spring training, then the minor leaguers need to get paid as well because they are putting in the effort. And even then, um, over at lookout landing, which is the, um, the Mariners SB Nation affiliate, they raised a really good point of with the millionaires versus billionaires argument is that um, Johan Ramirez, who is a pitcher in the Mariners organization, is a, a two-year now player in the major leagues. And he does all of his off-season training in public gyms and on dirt fields in his um, home Dominican Republic and pays for all of his own training stuff during the off season. This is a guy that is a major league baseball player. Um, and you know, he has to pay for trainers and he has to pay for access to gyms and stuff like that, that, you know, your, your superstar players probably aren't having to do that, but it's, it's just one of those things where the whole millionaires versus billionaires argument is just so such a skewed, inaccurate view of this whole situation. Yeah. 100%. It's a super tough situation on both ends. You know, we're just three people doing a little baseball podcast. So we don't have all the you no know, insights, you know, into the, what the players unions, their all line of thinking, the owner's line of thinking and thing. But as outside, you know, I guess audience, the outside audience looking in, you know, it is just, frustrating to see you know, regardless of who's on whose side and whatever I think the frustrating part that Mac kind of touched on is that there's just very little dialogue in these negotiations to just talk about these problems and everything because you know, we're getting 15 minute meetings where somebody comes in they propose something and then somebody says oh that's a non-starter and then the meeting's over as they propose so there's not really a dialogue to talk about these problems like these are what these minor leaguers, these are what, you know, our younger players on these teams with less service time, this is what yes. they're going through. This is the problems that they're having. You know, and so there's not that dialogue that needs to be happening, you know, in these negotiations. I don't know how these big negotiation things really go down, but the thought of just having a 15-minute meeting to, well, here's our idea. We'll get back to you in two weeks. You know, that's not a recipe for success. So at least there is that nice point where from what it sounds like, they're going to start doing daily meetings starting Monday, roughly. So the day this episode's coming out, 
that they'll try and do daily meetings, I guess, to work towards that February 28th deadline. Uh, so at least there's that's something. Hopefully there's more communication mm-hmm. happening. But it's just frustrating. Oh, as baseball fans, no, that powerless feeling where there's literally nothing that like any of the three of us can do. There's nothing we can do no, to facilitate anything for these two sides to kind of make up oh, and, and do something that's in the best interest of the sport. I don't know if you guys have felt like 100%. that at all. Or... 100%. 100%. It's, it's it's that powerless feeling of it feels like you are watching your favorite thing in the world just absolutely implode in on and itself. And you said that before, Evan. Nothing you can do because yeah, I mean, even a couple of weeks ago, you were saying that like it felt like you were watching baseball die in front of you. Yeah, because this is regardless of anything else, this is bad for the sport. This is bad for the fans. This is bad for for so so much in terms of the health of the sport of baseball in the United States where uh, this is doing legitimate damage where fans are losing interest where you know if we miss games in the spring there are other places that fans can go for sports where mm-hmm. they can go the NHL and the NBA are in their like their final swings starting to really ramp up for postseason pushes and March Madness and there's even going to be spring league football this year and there are, you know, other baseball offerings. The, the college baseball season starts today, the day that we are recording this, uh, which is February 18th. And um, the, the minor leagues will still happen, but Major League Baseball is the, the one form of widely recognizable professional baseball here in the United States. And we're watching it just continually shoot itself in the foot until there's no foot left. And then what? Mm -hmm. In the wide world of, you know, the, the battle for entertainment, for our attention, baseball in the world of sports at the least is losing that battle. And then you expand it out even more into the world of streaming and accessibility, you have all these different streaming services, different movies, different TV shows, different forms of entertainment, video games, books, board games, music, all kinds of stuff that are competing for your attention. And you look over at baseball and there's just been nothing but negativity. It continues to shoot itself mm-hmm. in the foot, like Evan said. The bad press, you know, Rob Manfred coming out, doing a press conference, and just coming off as a smug jerk, to be frank. You know, it's, it's not a good look for the sport. And it's it's losing interest, I think, from a lot of people. And so it's going to be hard for baseball to figure it, if it figures anything out, to build itself back up to it being the national pastime again, which at the moment yeah. it is not the national pastime. And how much of that is just even for, for ease of access mm-hmm. is that if you don't have cable – if you don't have internet, you'll find some way to watch your your local team for the NFL that or they'll be over the air or something. 
But if you don't have cable for the regional sports network, then you can't watch your local team. And you can't just pay for an MLB TV subscription because then you're blacked out. And some regions that don't even have teams in their area are blacked out from a bunch of different teams. And my, my, my pessimistic worldview with all of this stuff, with Rob Manfred's press conference and saying just how the the poor billionaires can't afford baseball teams and how you can't be profitable with baseball and and all that stuff is that it really feels like and you know i know this is a very dour pessimistic worldview is that for the people in charge for the for the billionaire owners it's never been and it will never be about expanding or improving the game or finding a new audience it is about wringing as much money as you possibly can out of the existing audience consequences be damned and we're going to start seeing those consequences here soon if we're not already seeing them already where fans are, are frustrated and they're they're tired and it's just you know getting harder and harder to watch the the league continually just shoot itself in the foot for the sake of you know, for the sake of the profit margins. Absolutely. As the well, that was yeah. fun. <laughs> As the Pike Syndicate said in the Book of Boba Fett, we have to protect our margins. So, yep. And what an incredibly cheerful second half of the podcast yes. this has been. Uh, I'm just saying, man. How did that work out for the Pike Syndicate? <laughs> I'm just yeah, saying. No spoilers, but ye. <laughs> no spoilers, but <laughs> not great. The one thing I'll say is. It's both sides. When I mean, we've talked about this before, both sides have to compromise for the sake of the sport. You know, they've got to meet in the middle somewhere. You know, we yes. can't have the players dropping their proposal or their asking price down by a couple million and then baseball just barely raising theirs a couple million. There needs to be significant gains on both ends to find a middle ground that they can agree upon. Because that's what bargaining is, that negotiating, is finding the middle compromise ground. And hopefully meeting every day, they can get closer to that. But as of right now, they're just so spread apart that that's why we have this view of like, yeah, we're not getting baseball. Uh, and and that's but, that sucks. But I think the issue with, and it's like, yeah, the negotiating is definitely a both sides thing. But I think the reason where it's such a standstill is not necessarily a both sides argument because you've seen the players and the union back off of some of their what would be considered more extreme wants. But then the league just won't budge on anything or they'll tick in a couple extra million on a comically low counter offer. So it would be like. Well, what was it? the The league wanted their 110 million. The union wanted the 110 million dollar arbitration pre arbitration pool for for bonuses for players, and then the league was like, "Okay, how about 10 million dollars?" And then the next time, be like, "Okay, we'll take it up to 15." Or it's like the league wants the minimum salary raised to like you know seven seven seventy five seven hundred seventy five thousand dollars, and the league will go, well, "What about?" 710 or something like that and then other things where they just won't budge at all like the age-based free agency and making it easier to become a free agent or making arbitration happen when you are younger 
was just like complete non-starters or anything that would impact revenue sharing or the collective bargaining tax that would make it so teams had to actually bother to contribute more money onto the on-field product the league just isn't willing to budge isn't willing to move the owners won't do it they won't negotiate on that and that's the whole thing is that when there is one side of a negotiation that is clearly not actually interested in negotiating or negotiating in good faith can you really call that a negotiation to begin with mm-hmm. yeah it's just difficult and it's just my opinion that both sides are still at fault, one more so than the other, but they're both still at fault that we ended up with a CBA that wasn't negotiated at all even prior to the lockout happening by the owners. I, that's still my thought that they could have done a lot more before we even got to this point, you know, starting to have more conversations and instead of we're getting down to the wire on the procrastination and the season starts and roughly – a little over a month of opening day and mm-hmm. now everybody's scrambling like oh now we got to throw something together in a week and that's not going to turn out well for everybody and there's going to be a lot of right. a lot of anger i think from both ends still oh baseball can we do something fun yeah. <laughs> can we like do like it's something cool in fact in yeah, fact we can no well so that's our cbn lockout hopefully something figures itself out eventually uh but in the meantime, we can still have our fun in our own different ways. Uh, yeah. So, Shohei Otani, we're all three video game aficionados. Uh, Shohei Otani was announced as the cover athlete for MLB The Show 2022. Uh, it, that one seemed like a no-brainer for him to be the next cover athlete. I mean, how do you not have Shohei Otani as the cover athlete after his 2021 MVP season? Course. But there's been a long history of video games and video game cover athletes. And so I thought it'd be fun to see if you guys could name some uh, based on the games that I've kind of come up with here on my list. Um, so we can just do this. We just want to do this one at a time or you can buzz in with your name. How do you guys want to do this? Oh man, how competitive are we getting about to get? Uh, I don't know. I mildly. All right, <laughs> we well, can go one yeah, at a time. Let's just do one at a time. Uh, yeah, that's easy. And if if somebody doesn't have a guess, then the other one can try as well. Perfect. Um, but so I've gone through a bunch. There's a ton of lists that you can find uh, all on the internets. There's been a ton of baseball games throughout the years. Uh, but so this first one I found. We'll start with. Evan, so the, who was the cover athlete for Triple Play Baseball? So this was in 2001, Triple Play Baseball. Okay, oh so I have, I have a follow-up question for this. Yes. Is it Triple Play Baseball, period, or is it Triple Play Baseball 2001, which was the 2001 edition yeah. of Triple Play yeah. Baseball? Yeah, it's just Triple Play Baseball, and then to, for my own purposes, I made it 2001. It came out in 2001. It was just called Triple Play Baseball. Okay, because I think Triple Play Baseball 2001 was Mike Piazza. But, um... Gosh, was it Randy Johnson? It was not. Oh, man. That's not good. (laughs) Um... Wow. Um... 
boy. But Evan, you were correct with Triple Play 2001. That was Mike Piazza, but not Triple Play Baseball, like I am asking for. Could it be, is it like Mark McGuire, maybe? It is not. Yeah, I'll give you guys one hint. This is a former Rocky. It's Jason Giambi. It is Jason Giambi. Horses. I I was thinking if it wasn't a if it wasn't Randy I think Randy Johnson might have been on the next one after that, but something was popping in my head that I think it was a member of the Athletics at the time. Mm-hmm. Nice. Okay. All right. This next one we'll start with Mac. All right. All Star Baseball '99. This was on the Nintendo 64 and the Game Boy. Game Boy Advance, I think. No, just Game Boy. Man, where's like MVP baseball or something? I don't know these <laughs> like. Oh my god. Okay, so All Star Baseball, so ninety nine. So we're talking about like the ninety eight, ninety nine seasons. Um, probably like a Yankee because the Yankees were in the World Series then. I'm gonna say it was Jeter. It was not. Oh, right, you have a guess, Evan? Uh, so I actually, I actually know this one. Uh, no All Star Jeter was on a cover of All Star Baseball. I think it was All Star Baseball 2005. Um, oh. But if I recall, at least for the Game Boy version, which I did have when I was a kid, I think it was Larry Walker. It was our favorite Canuck. Oh, get out of here! The only Rocky wow. to grace the cover of a baseball game. Really? So All All Star Baseball '99. So you said, wait, the Game Boy cover, is the cover different between the No, it, it, he's the same on all of them. Oh, that's so cool. Good for Larry. That's awesome. That was, I think that was pretty early on in that series. That was the, I think they were published by, like, Acclaim, right? Yeah, they were Acclaim's baseball series. That's awesome. Okay. This next one, moving on. Well, I guess we're starting, we're starting okay. with Evan this time, is... MLB 2K9. Who was on the cover of MLB 2K9? Evan with the guess. I know 2K8, but I don't know 2K9. And I could cheat and just go look in on my shelf where I have all of the MLB 2K games sitting. Nice. Um, but I don't know this one. Throw a guess out there, brother. Give me something. <laughs> uh, Matt Holiday. No. All right. So you know what's crazy? I know this one because story time. My father and I would take trips out to San Francisco while he would go get tattoos. We'd go crash uh, Giants games, and I remember that they were promoting the cover star of Two K Nine, who was Tim. Lincecum. That is correct. Tim Lincecum. I'm on the yeah, board. Yeah, two to one. Currently, the score. Sick. All right. I can't believe I forgot about big time Timmy. <laughs> Tim Lincecum, man. Yeah. All righty. So this next one will be Mac. This is Mac's first guess. Okay. I don't want to give you an easy one. So oh. this will be MLB Slugfest 2003. 2003? Yeah. So it was, they were made like the people that made the NFL Blitz games. And they always... Uh-huh. So yeah, midway. they'd always do their weird okay. naming conventions. Instead of like 2003, they'd always do like 20-03. I gotcha. So this is the baseball ones, okay. MLB Slugfest. So we're thinking like 2001. 
or 2003 yeah. sorry so then it's like okay so okay so who's good in 2003 uh boy man i truly have no idea i mean my okay like i know it's like kind of cheating but like my heart says jeter because i feel like that's a pretty safe guess for a lot of this time period you can't just guess jeter for every game <laughs> no totally right <laughs> i know right totally um oh god who's in the world series done three uh Alex Rodriguez. That is correct. Uh, Alex up, Rodriguez really? was the cover of MLB no Slugfest 2003. That was right really? after he signed that big contract with the Rangers, right? With the Rangers, right? Oh, I totally threw a guess out there. <laughs> yes, dude. Hey, the guess worked. That's that's who I was thinking. Sick. I didn't know this one, but I was thinking it's like, eh, 2003, who was really good around that time? Eh, I'll guess A-Rod if Matt doesn't get it. Because I was thinking, too, I was like, that was right after he signed the Texas deal, but I didn't know if that was like a big enough thing you know, to put him on the cover. Oh, yes, dude. <laughs> Tied it, it up. All right. This one's Evan now. RBI Baseball 2018. Fun games. I like these. I hate those games. I think they're okay, well. terrible. <laughs> uh... Is it Tim Anderson? It is not Tim Anderson. Mac with the chance to steal. I feel like it's. I, I feel like I, rem, I remember the cover, and I'm pretty sure it's a Red Sox player. So I'm gonna go with Mookie Betts. It is not Mookie Betts. Oh. All right, I'll give a hint now, and whoever gets it first. So he is currently a Met. He's currently. So he was not necessarily a Met at the time of the game. Correct. Okay, who was traded to? Uh, Scherzer? What? It is not Scherzer. Oh, uh, um, oh, God. Um, oh, infielder. Oh, he's so good. Oh, no. Uh, um, oh, God. Uh, he's an infielder. He was with Cleveland. Um, oh, he is like, oh, Francis don't Gullion. do it. <laughs> Oh, oh no! It was Francisco Snipe. Evan with the point. Oh, that's so brutal. I knew it was like a red uh, uniform. Oh, that's so tough. Alrighty, uh, this next one is starting with Mac. This is backyard baseball two thousand three. Ooh, did. Oh man! Wait, did they ever have like just one of the kids? Because then it would it, that my dude Pablo. But uh, usually, like they'd have the big league player like turned into the kid. Sure. Oh man, I'm be honest. I have no idea. Like I literally have no clue. Uh boy, Randy Johnson. No, it is not Randy Johnson. Yeah, complete guess. Derek Jeter. It is not Derek Jeter. Um. Okay, this player was a Met. He also hit a gigantic home run at Coors Field. Who did Piazza? (laughs) Um, It is Mike Piazza. Oh, no! Commanding lead now. Oh, man. Okay, yeah. I need to get on this now. (laughs) How many more do these do you have? Uh, A couple more. 
Okay, thank God. All right, let's do it. Okay. MVP Baseball uh, we 2004. Uh, wait, whose question is this? I believe it's Evans, actually. Oh, okay. Albert Pujols. It is Albert Pujols. <laughs> oh, that's so tough. Oh, that's so tough. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. We're on Mac. All-Star Baseball 2000 to 2005. So he was on every cover in that stretch. He was also on the covers of MLB 2K5 through 2K7. This has to be Jeter. It then. is Derek Jeter. Yeah. I was going to say, like, this, like if he's on for that long, it's got He was on uh, so many of those covers. <laughs> so wait, so because that's like a whole bunch of covers in a row, are those extra points for the <laughs> No. <laughs> oh, okay. Fine. <laughs> But yeah, Derek Jeter was on so many covers. Yeah, he was. Okay. Um, what's our score here? I think Evan with five. I think I'm down two. And, or no, Evan might have six, I think. Oh, my God. Something like that. We just know Evan's in, in the lead. <laughs> <laughs> Evan's definitely winning. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. I think. I had just one, one or a couple more. All righty. Who was on the cover of Yes? Okay. Oh, here we go. There it is. That's the one I was looking for. <laughs> Who was on the cover of High Heat Major League Baseball 2002? Literally what? I think this is Evan's pick. No, I had the last one. Oh, yeah, oh man. Uh, high Heat Major League Baseball. I've never even heard of this game. I have a vague recollection of this series. Um, 2000, what year? 2002? 2002. I've literally never heard I, of this. I, uh, I can me. give a hint. Um, his son is currently playing in the majors. Dante Bichette? No. Oh, <laughs> Evan, do you know it? You threw me off with Sun. Because I know some of the other cover athletes from this series, and I was going to guess one of them. But... I know, His son? I don't like 2000 or 2001 was Sammy Sosa. And then one of the ones after that was Kurt Schilling. It is not Kurt Schilling. I know it's not Kurt Schilling. His <laughs> son doesn't play baseball. Um, if Evan doesn't get it, I would guess. Craig Biggio. No. Vlad? It is Vladimir Guerrero. Ah, because I, I, I was like, senior. who all... Yeah, I was like, who has kids playing right now? Okay, yeah, all right, bet. So, yeah. <laughs> so those are all the ones that I have. Um, yeah. I also have every single cover athlete for the show. Uh, those are always fun. Here, do one show. Just pick your favorite. Ooh. And we'll wrap it up. Give me a chance to talk. <laughs> You're not even close to tying. Look, man, I'm tying in your in our hearts. Let me, let me do one more. 
All right, let's do let's do the show 2007. Okay. Hmm. Okay. So um so 2007 so like who was good back then? I'm going to say Adrian Beltre. It is not Adrian Beltre. I'm so trash. <laughs> Was that the first show? 07? No, 06, nah, actually. The was. first one was 06, and I know who was oh, okay. on that one. I don't think I know this one. This was, oh, I know 07. This was actually before I got in on that series. I know, I know 06, and it's David Ortiz, but I don't know 07. So, Mac, go ahead and gun for it. I got it. It's 07. I remember because I had this game. It's, uh, it's Ryan Howard. That is incorrect. <laughs> Ryan up. Howard Are was 2008. <laughs> oh, I'm going to jump out a window. <laughs> All right, the hint I have, Captain America. David Wright. It is David oh, Wright. God. Oh, David Wright. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well... Hey, we tied, and that's you know we had a good back and forth. What's so. this tie business? We definitely tied. Good if game, you can, man. Scott, if you can fun, name though. the athlete that was on 2010 and 2011, that would count as two points. No way. I have no idea. Derek Jeter, probably. <laughs> it was that one was Joe Mauer. The only repeat on oh, this I, list. Joe Mauer got really? two covers back to back. Really. Dang, good for him. Huh, good for him. Yeah, there were a lot cool. more obscure baseball games before MLB The Show just kind of took over the market. Totally, took over. Uh, Skyler, thanks, man. That was fun. It's it, There's a ton of weird, random games and athletes. Chris Berman is even on a cover of <laughs> one of these ESPN Baseball Tonight games. Classic series, yeah, of course. Yeah, everybody playing that on <laughs> Super Nintendo. Uh, <laughs> but... So Evan wins our little contest here. Uh, I stopped taking I st- allegedly. <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> so he claims. But that's going to do it here for this edition of Affected by Altitude. Uh, lots that we covered, but again, as always, appreciate you guys hopping on, having all these conversations. Totally. Uh, before we go, Evan, where can the folks find you, and what have you been working on? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at, at Evan underscore Lang 27. Uh, you can also hit us up at the official Affected by Altitude Twitter account, which is at Altitude Effect. Uh, I've been working on a lot of different stuff. A lot of my more recent articles on the website have been about sort of lesser known minor leaguers in the Rockies farm system that I think deserve to have a bit of a spotlight shown on them. And so I've done... Uh, Taylor, uh, Tyler Ahern, I've done Nate Greep, uh, Yorvis Torialba. Uh, I also wrote an article that I enjoyed writing about uh, one of my favorite players as a kid, the super utility man, Terry Shumpert. I think that one's definitely worth checking out. And yeah, all sorts of fun stuff. Mac, hit him with what you've got. Yeah, man. So I'm at Cormac Battle Pro, C-O-R-M-A-C Battle Pro. Obviously, I'm always tweeting about you know, the goofy stuff I like, like wrestling and Kingdom Hearts and all that good stuff. But specifically for the website, I'm still continuing with the My Guy series. Just kind of like a fun little retrospective uh, that we do while we wait for baseball to hopefully pick up. Um, you know, 
kind of keeping up with that. And then I might have some other, some more uh, kind of goofy casual stuff coming up. I was working on something related to Super Smash Brothers and the Rockies, so keep an eye out for that. It's in the works. And you can find me at at sideline underscore crowd. Um, as for what I'm working on, as always, Sunday Rock Piles. Uh, currently, I've got the Rockies Baseball Classic Purple Row Sim uh, still going on. There's been three games uploaded, so you can find those articles on Purple Row, or you can find them, uh, the videos, if you want to go find them over on YouTube, on the Sideline Crowd YouTube channel. Uh, you can just look for them, hashtag Purple Row Sim. Uh, fun stuff. Fun stuff watching those, calling those simulated games with old Rockies from around the world. Yeah, those are great. Definitely worth those checking out. Those are a blast. Yeah, they were really, really fun. Spoilers, there's a fourth game, so. Yeah. <laughs> I still need to record that. But as always, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, as always, stay tuned here on Purple Row and the Affected by Altitude podcast, and we'll see you next time. Mac, hit him with it. Farewell.